Today on the Tove Podcast, we'll explore the role that outreach to the Jewish people should play in a believer's overall outreach strategy. Do the scriptures give special attention to ministry among the Jewish people? Thanks for joining us today as we explore the rudder of missions on this 76th episode of the Tove Podcast. You are listening to the Tove Podcast. Welcome back to the Tove Podcast. I've got a somewhat controversial subject today, and I'm happy that you're here to explore it with me. My name is Levi Hazen. I serve with Life and Messiah International. You can learn more about our ongoing work among the House of Israel at lifeinmessiah.org. Well, oftentimes, small but very important components can play a big role in determining our direction and outcome. This is certainly the case with a rudder on a boat. Most of us are familiar with rudders and the important role they play in getting passengers on a boat safely from one point to another. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, a rudder is an underwater blade that is positioned at the stern of a boat or ship and controlled by its helm and that when turned causes the vessel's head to turn in the same direction. For those of us who may not know much about a boat, we may liken it to our car steering wheel. Essentially, if you want your boat to go north, you position the rudder accordingly. If you desire to stay on course and not float around according to the currents, which often change, you must utilize your rudder. Keeping your boat on the right course requires that you, number one, know that your rudder exists. If you don't know your rudder exists, it's going to be really hard to keep your boat on track. And number two, we must actually choose to utilize the rudder since we know it exists. This is how boats are designed. Using a boat's rudder helps ensure we stay on course. It's not the only factor that goes into a successful trip, but it is a crucial factor. It's been two millennia since the church set sail. At the birth of the church, the Messiah passed on his mission to broadcast the good news all over the world. I believe that God wants every single person to hear the good news, regardless of their ethnicity, social class, skin color, gender, or any other difference. God desires that everybody be saved. And I also believe that God gave us a rudder to direct us, to keep us on course, while we seek to accomplish his task of bringing the good news all over the nations. Unfortunately, over the course of our journey, we've neglected to use our rudder. Instead, we choose to employ other methods that certainly get us somewhere, but we don't experience the same kind of journey we could have if we used our God-given rudder. Some of us have even forgotten that we have a rudder. Others of us think it better to use some other part of the ship to guide us on our journey. Today, I want to share with you a biblical case for Jewish ministry outreach to the Jewish people as being the rudder for worldwide missions. By the end of our time together, I hope you'll be just as convinced as I am that we need to make Jewish missions a priority. 
It's not just something for Messianic congregations or even Jewish ministries to fulfill. But for the entire missions movement, I believe that every single believer should be involved in some way, shape, or form, whether it be going, giving, praying, sharing, or whatever else the Spirit would lead someone to do. So, without further ado, if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Romans chapter 1. We're going to take a look at verse 16. Now, much of what I'm saying today, I've already said on previous podcasts. So, if you get the sense you've heard this before, well, it's quite possible you have. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, most of us are familiar with it, says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Now, this verse is oftentimes plastered at missions conferences. It's oftentimes included in books when an author is talking about the Great Commission and so forth. But I can tell you that many, many times I've read the verse and it has not been in its completion for some reason or the other. Let's just walk through it together. And I want to explore some things with you. First of all, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's a great thing. Just as Paul was not ashamed of the gospel in his time, so we are not to be ashamed of the gospel in our time. We're not to shrink back from the gospel. Why? Because it is God's power for salvation. That's why. And just as it was God's power for salvation in Paul's day, so it is still God's power for salvation even today. There is no other way that a person can be saved other than through the gospel message. And Paul says it's to everyone who believes. Just as that was true in Paul's day, it's to Jewish people, it's to Gentile people, it's to males, females, slaves, free, black, white, it doesn't matter if you're human and breathing, the gospel's for you. Paul says it's for everybody who believes. That was true then, and that was true today. Now, usually that's where the sentence is cut off. It's made short. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, period. I was just reading a book last week written by a fairly famous author. I'm not going to name any names, but he cut the verse off. Now, this is a wonderful brother. But why cut the verse off? There's a comma there. Not a period. Maybe I could understand it if it was a period, but it's a comma. Let's finish Paul's thought. What's Paul's thought that we need to finish? This gospel that is for everybody, this gospel that's the only way to salvation for anyone who believes, is to the Jew first, and also to the Greek or Gentile. Why is it important to keep in mind that the gospel is to the Jew first? Well, I wish we could ask Paul, but he's not here with us. But he wrote it very clearly right here in the text. And so let's take a look at just a couple of uh, alternative interpretations here of what this might mean. First interpretation is often used by replacement theologians, folks who say God's done with Israel, he's moved on, he's replaced Israel with the church. Uh, this is an error that's persisted for a long time. 
Uh, listen to other Tove podcast episodes if you want to learn more about replacement theology. Basically, the, uh, the thought uh, about this verse is, well, Paul is talking in a historical sense here. What Paul means is that when the gospel first came, it first went to the Jewish people, but now it has gone to the Gentiles. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. And why don't I think that's what Paul's saying? Well, because we just look at Paul's practice. We just need to look at Paul's practice to see that he actually put his theology into practice. And so you begin reading in the book of Acts, and you follow Paul on his journeys as he goes from place to place, city to city. He gets stoned, he gets harassed, he gets beaten, sometimes left for dead. Where does Paul go first when he arrives in a city? The answer? The Jewish population. Typically, we see him walk into a synagogue because that's where the Jewish people are meeting. So you get to a city called Philippi. He doesn't go to a synagogue. So right there could be a way out saying, see, he doesn't do that every time. But he went down by the river. And it's thought that at this time, Philippi was not a large enough city to have a synagogue. So Paul goes down by the river. Why would he do that? Well, just so happens that was the traditional place that Jewish people would meet for prayer. And so Paul is there looking for his Jewish brethren. Now, let me give you my take on this passage. You see, the Greek word that Paul is using here for first is the word proton. This is the same word used in Matthew 6.33, when Matthew writes, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. How do we understand first in that sentence? Well, in essence, the Greek word proton can mean in chronological sequence. In other words, one, two, three, four. But another way that the Greek word proton is used is in the matter of priority. And I think that's what's happening here with Matthew. But seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, make the things of God a priority in your life. And I think that's exactly what Paul's saying in Romans 1.16. To the Jew first means that the Jewish people should be a priority when it comes to missions. As I mentioned before, that's exactly what we see as Paul's praxis. It's what he does when he goes out on his journeys, when he does outreach. So fascinating. That's Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I think that's something we really need to wrestle with when it comes to the worldwide missions movement. If Paul says that the gospel is to the Jew first, why would anyone not want to include as a priority the Jewish people? And hear me out here. I'm not saying that every single believer should drop what they're doing right now and enter into full-time Jewish ministry. That's not the case I'm making. The case I'm making is that every single believer needs to ask the Lord how they should make the Jewish people a priority in their life. Perhaps the Lord would just have you pray for the Jewish people. That's wonderful. Prayer is the fuel of missions. Perhaps the Lord would have you give out of the resources that he's blessed you with. That's wonderful. Perhaps the Lord would have you go on a short-term missions trip to Israel, to Brooklyn, to South Florida, to another place with a large Jewish community. I don't know. I'm, I'm not the Holy Spirit in your life. But I am saying, I'm reading the text here, and I'm seeing that the Jewish people need to be a priority when it comes to sharing the gospel. And I'm not basing all that off of Romans 1.16. we got a few more passages here that we're going to share. So let's move there right now. If you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 9. Again, we're going to start in verse 1. 
In Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 1, what we really see here is Paul's passion. I mean, Paul was a zealous guy. And we see Paul's passion come through right here in Romans 9, as well as a few other places. Starting in verse 1, it says this, quote, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience is testifying to me with the Holy Spirit that I have an intense sorrow and continual anguish in my heart. What is giving Paul continual anguish in his heart? What is giving Paul such sorrow? Verse 3, he says, For I could almost wish myself cursed and cut off from the Messiah for the benefit of my brothers, my own flesh and blood. Wow. Paul says he wishes that he could be cut off from the Messiah if only it was for the sake of his brethren, the Jewish people. That's a pretty bold statement. He continues, verse 4, They are Israelites, and to them belong, notice that is in the present tense, to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. The ancestors are theirs, and from them by physical descent came the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. You know, that is some major passion here. And Paul not only says that if it were possible, he'd cut himself off for the salvation of Israel, but then he goes on to say that, by the way, all of these things, even though Messiah has been resurrected, even though Messiah has ascended, the church has been birthed, and Paul is a leader here in the church movement, and he says, to the Israelites belong. Way too many of us have been affected negatively by the impact of replacement theology as it seeps across our commentaries and teachings. He says, to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. Those wonderful promises that were given to Abraham back in Genesis 12, ratified in Genesis chapter 15, the land promise of Deuteronomy, and so on and so on and so on. God hasn't nullified any of those promises. God is faithful, even if every man be a liar. What we see here in Romans chapter 9, 1 through 5, is Paul's passion. What great could be done in the world of Jewish missions if we had a greater fire to see God's chosen saved. Rooting out replacement theology, one episode at a time. Since 1887, Life in Messiah has helped Christians understand the Jewish roots of our faith and God's ongoing commitment to His people. We teach that anti-Semitism is inconsistent with biblical faith and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which includes her spiritual renewal as well as physical safety. In all we do, our priority is to share the gospel message. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or at lifeinmessiah.org. That's lifeinmessiah.org. Well, that brings us to Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them. Who's the them? That's the Israelites. Paul says, His heart's desire, his prayer is for their salvation. Do you have any kind of a desire in your life right now for the Jewish people's salvation? 
If not, I want to encourage you to ask the Lord to give you that desire. It's very biblical. I mean, we want everybody to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord. Again, I understand that. I believe that. But what about the Jewish people? Do you have a particular desire that God's chosen people, who God used to pen the Scriptures, whom God used to preserve the Scriptures, whom God used to bring about the Messiah, do you have a special place in your heart for God's chosen people? Verse 2, Paul says, I can testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. Of course, we've said this on the Tove podcast before, but what knowledge are the zealous among the house of Israel lacking? They're lacking the, the knowledge about how to attain true righteousness. If you're, if you're Jewish out there today, if you're a member of the house of Israel, and, and maybe you've stumbled across the Tove podcast, I, I hope you hear very clearly here that the way to attain righteousness is not more study. The way to attain righteousness is not more good deeds. The way to attain righteousness is not more prayers. The Bible has laid out for us very clearly that each of us have been separated from God by our sin. Each of us have fallen short, and we cannot become righteous in and of ourselves. But thanks be to God, Jesus is completely righteous. The Messiah of Israel is completely righteous. And it is by placing our trust in Him and His finished work on the cross that therefore that righteousness can be given to us. And so I want to encourage you, whether you're Jewish, Gentile, out there, male or female, doesn't matter. The way for you to be in a right relationship with God is to place your complete faith, your trust, in the finished work of Jesus. Just believe. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That is how simple it is. But the reality is, is that it's actually quite difficult, especially for those of us who would face persecution because of that decision. But it's worth it because our eternity is at stake. Paul says, I can testify about them. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now I want to speak to the Gentile believers for a second. If most of the Jewish people have a zeal for God, that's a wonderful thing, but it's not according to knowledge, and so they need that knowledge. And who's going to bring them that knowledge? It's got to be us. It's got to be a believer. And statistics show us that generally, God in his Sovereignty chooses to use a Gentile believer when it comes to the sharing of the gospel with our Jewish friends. So many of our Jewish friends have come to faith in Jesus because a Gentile was loving and bold enough to share the hope of Messiah with them. That leads us to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, I'm just going to read first few verses to begin with, but Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Talking about Israel. Replacement theology claims God has rejected his people. Has he? Paul says, absolutely not. For I too, Paul says, giving himself as an example, I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, from the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Hasn't happened. Verse 11, Paul says, I ask then, have they, Israel, stumbled in order to fall? Absolutely not. On the contrary, by their stumbling, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, we've said this before, but a lot of Israel accepted the Lord's claims, both while he was present on earth and then shortly after. Even today, we have many Israelites accepting 
the claims of Jesus as being the Messiah. But it was the national leadership of Israel who, by and large, rejected his claims. And Paul calls that their stumbling. Jesus was the stumbling block, the stumbling stone. But because of their stumbling, Paul says, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if you're a Gentile out there, you're really grateful for that. But Paul gives a reason that salvation has gone to the Gentiles. Of course, we know that one of those reasons is because God loves the world. He doesn't want anybody, Jew or Gentile, to perish. That's one reason. Paul gives another reason right here in Romans 11, 11. He says, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. In other words, salvation has gone to the Gentiles, not just so Gentiles can now become anti-Semitic and proud and arrogant and think that they've replaced Israel. Rather, salvation has come to the Gentiles so that the Gentiles can live in humility and love and respect and in a posture of sharing the good news with the Jewish people. That would be provoking them unto jealousy. What's the jealousy being talked about there? It's provoking them into a relationship with their God. Essentially, what Paul wants is for all of these Gentiles to be following the God of Israel and to be following him in such a way that the Jewish people look at us and they say, wow, there's something special about that girl. There's something special about that guy. They got a joy that I really desire. They have a peace through these circumstances that I would really desire for myself. How how do you do that? Where do you get your peace from? Where do you get your joy from? And then we point people to the full, free, and forever grace of Jesus. And I'm just going to move over now to Romans chapter 11, verse 29. God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable. Irrevocable. So just in case you thought that any of the promises God made to Israel were revoked, Paul clears that up for us. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to be uh, in a state of confusion about whether or not replacement theology is true or whether or not God still has a plan and purpose for Israel. Paul lays it out for us very clearly. God made certain promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob about their descendants. If God breaks his promises to Israel, you and I are in a whole world of trouble. The church is in a whole world of trouble because there's nothing that would then prevent him from breaking his promises to the church, or to us individually even. Well, our final passage comes to us in Romans 15, verse 27. I'm going to start back in 22, just so we can get a fuller context here. Paul says, That's why I've been prevented from coming to you many times, but now I no longer have any work to do in these provinces, and I've strongly desired for many years to come to you whenever I travel to Spain. For I hope to see you when I pass through, and to be assisted by you for my journey there. Once I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Verse 25. Right now I'm traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased and indeed are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they are obligated to minister to Jews in material needs. Now I find that principle very fascinating. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that these Gentile believers are so indebted to the Jewish people spiritually that they are, quote, obligated to minister to the Jewish people in material needs. Again, maybe this is the first time you're hearing this. I'd encourage you to to bring out your Bible 
uh, and to read it for yourself, especially if it's shocking to you uh, or if it's a surprise like it was to me years ago when I first heard this. But we have received, as Gentile believers, we've received so much from the Jewish people. Paul mentioned those things, some of those things, back in Romans 9. The scriptures, the covenants, the law, the promises, and the Messiah. And he says, since we Gentiles have received so much spiritually, we owe it to the Jewish people. And specifically in this context, the Jewish people are Jewish believers, the saints in Jerusalem. We owe it to them to help with material needs. Romans 1.16 tells us that we need to be proclaiming the gospel and we need to have a priority of the Jewish people in our missions. And perhaps you're listening out there and you're involved in uh, missions work in Africa or you're involved in missions work in Asia or somewhere else, it doesn't matter where. I'd invite you to consider what does it look like for you to keep the Jewish people as a priority as you go about your missions. I think it's not only biblical, I think you'll be blessed and honored for doing so. I've shared this on the Tove podcast before, but every single year, Hudson Taylor would write a check to Jewish ministry. And at the very bottom of the check, he would write to the Jew first. Hudson Taylor, not called to reach the Jewish people on a full-time basis, kept the Jewish people a priority. Why? Because the scriptures are clear about it. From Romans 1.16, we move on to Romans 9, where we see Paul's passion. He could wish himself cursed and cut off from the Messiah if only, the, if only his Jewish brethren could be saved. Romans 10, verse 1, Paul says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they would be saved. We see, we see Paul praying for the salvation of his brethren. Perhaps God would have you to be a prayer warrior for Israel and the Jewish people, for a Jewish ministry like Life and Messiah. Romans chapter 11, we see that certainly God's not done with Israel. He's got a plan and purpose for them. God will remain faithful. And one of the purposes that salvation has gone out to the Gentiles is so that they would, quote, make Israel jealous. We need to be living in such a way, having the fruit of the Spirit, so that Jewish people see the lives of people who are in the church and say, I want what that guy has. I want what that girl has. We need to be provoking people unto jealousy. Romans 11.29 tells us that God's calling and His gifts are irrevocable. Something we can rejoice over as individual believers, rejoice over as the church, and certainly rejoice over because His promises to Israel still stand. In Romans 15.27, when Paul says that Gentiles have received so much spiritually from the Jewish people, that they are obligated to them to share in material needs. How would God have you share with the Jewish people in material needs? Perhaps it's partnering in a, in a financial relationship with a ministry like Life and Messiah, where we're constantly sharing God's heart for the Jewish people. I don't know. That's a question between you and God, but I'd invite you to ask it. Visit lifeandmessiah.org to learn more. Well, I appreciate you joining us today on the Tove Podcast as we took an in-depth look at the rudder of missions. And I believe the rudder of missions is the Jewish people. We need to keep our eyes on reaching out to the Jewish people. We've been doing that here at Life and Messiah by the grace of God for over 134 years. Thanks for joining us on the Tove podcast. 
You can listen to all the other podcasts by visiting lifeinmessiah.org or subscribing anywhere else you find your podcasts. Until next time, shalom.